Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits, thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time I have with my sisters in Christ, Lord, that you've given us yet another day, Lord, to partake in your word and to fellowship together, uplifting the name of Jesus, which is the name above all names. Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, that you give us more time to win people into the kingdom. I'm asking, Lord, that our fires not burn out, that they stay steadfast in winning souls. I'm asking, Lord, that we not replace relationship with you with religion, for the two don't go together. And I'm asking, Lord, for the brothers and sisters who couldn't be here today, Lord, that you look after them, that you take care of them, that you give them a fresh anointing, Lord, a new understanding as to how important it is to seek the kingdom. Lord, I'm just asking that you take us away from a life of selfishness and turn us onto a life of selflessness. Let your love live in us, Lord, instead of just preaching it. Let us do the things that you have commanded, Lord, for you have given us all places to be examples unto you, that we may be righteous, Lord, that we may show others that we had been with Jesus. And I'm asking as we tackle this subject tonight, Lord, that we place no confidence in the flesh. I'm just asking, Lord, that your spirit, Lord, will take care of all things, that you will give us the words to speak, that you will bring admonishment and correction when it is necessary, that we just want, Lord, a strong presence of the Holy Ghost right now, as we go through this, Lord, for you have given this to me. And I'm just thankful, Lord, for the times when we're out there, Lord, that you have not let the enemy have his way with yes, us. Lord every day, Lord, that we're getting built up in you, and every day that we're praising you, every day, Lord, that we're getting stronger and stronger in relationship with you, that we may have a stronger faith, Lord, and go on to greater glory, glorifying you, Lord, the King of Kings. I'm asking in the name of Jesus name that you bind Jesus. every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit of lust, every spirit of lies, every spirit, Lord, of sin or of antichrist, Lord, let it be cast down, let it be thrown down. For any witches, Lord, or for any spirits and any demonic presence, Lord, that are coming against your body, casting spells, we ask that you send them back to the sender, Lord, that in hope that they may get saved. For, Lord, you can do all things, and we just thank you for being an awesome God. We thank you for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, Lord, for your kindness, for your gentleness in dealing with us. Thank you, Lord and, Lord, let us not take you for granted. Let us take this grace period, Lord, to do that much more for the kingdom that we may have Christ fully formed in us, the hope of all glory. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and you are worthy of all praises. Lord, we pray that you do these things for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be on our book of Acts. I believe it's going to be a four-part study. Uh, the first part of it is going to be called the Ecclesia, so we're going to try and get as much done as we can today. But why the Lord, I believe, it led me to this particular teaching is because I think that people are forgetting the very fundamental proofs of what the Church of God is, what it's about, what is necessary for growth, 
and how, you know, reading of the scriptures is not just some history book. It is brought forward that we may do the things that he has called us to do. Yep. Okay, it's, it's used as an example that we may believe to one day that the book of Acts will continue to be written because it will be those disciples of Jesus Christ, those who follow the Lord, those who want him, that we may have what he has, want, what he has called us to. Because you know in this Bible that everything is promised to overcomers. Yeah. If you don't overcome, you cannot expect the promises of this Bible. And first and foremost, we have to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. But again, you know, I'm not making fun of any churches. I was raised in a church myself, and we did get some fundamental truths concerning the Bible. But, you know, I often wondered even then how much they believed because we sang songs about, you know, wonder, work, and power and the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, we sang all these different things about God and His healing and, you know, when the kingdom comes and every single thing. But it just seemed like... You know, we believed to a degree. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that we had some help with that. I remember seeing people in the church speak in tongues and lay hands on people. But, you know, to believe in the miracles and do the things of the Lord, I think that we've just gotten so far away from that to where we've just turned religious. We have a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. We are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth that Christ in us is the hope of all glory. Mm -hmm. And that is what a Christian's experience is supposed to be. So we're going to go over tonight examples of the church, what the church should be, and what Jesus Christ meant for it to be, as opposed to what you see today. So I believe, you know, going through the book of Acts is going to help us understand a lot. I think it'll put a fresh anointing on those who believe, because you can't read these stories and read all the stuff that has gone on and then you look at your experience and you say, man, there's got to be something missing. Right. There's got to be something more to salvation. There's got to be something more than what we are experiencing. And I think a lot of it is going to stem from understanding why these guys were doing what they were doing. Because they understood that Jesus truly was the only way. They understood that, that this physical life was absolutely nothing. Okay, And they understood that the church was made of a people, not of a building, not of religious offices and things put in place. These were people that when they were touched by the Lord, they meant business. And, and giving the Lord more glory at the expense of their own lives is what this was truly about. So you don't hear the word love in the book of Acts mentioned much, but you see it shown quite a bit. You see God's love and his grace and his mercy on display in real time. Okay, so this is what we need to get out of our feelings and really get into the spirit. Have lives of prayer, have lives of fasting, have lives of, you know, just giving it all to him. Mm -hmm. Because only he can make us whole and give us what we desire. Right. But man in his fallen state wants to be religious. They carve religious artifacts and idols up and things and, you know, this is what I want. They find the nearest church and they sit in there and they listen to a whole bunch of garbage that has nothing to do with eternal life, nothing to do with growth. And, you know, I believe that prayers, I believe that teaching, I believe that singing, I believe that all these things can be effective if they're pointed towards what the Lord wants us to do. Mm -hmm. In spiritual warfare, when we sing songs, 
It should be, you know, spiritual to uplift the believer, but to cancel out those things that are not of God. Why? Because it's only going to empower you. So when we sing, even the, even the gift of song is a gift and it's a weapon. You know, to go against, there's nothing stronger than praise. Right. There's nothing stronger than worship and belief. As for teaching, you're admonishing and you're building up the saints that they may do the work themselves. Okay? That's why he says in Ephesians 4 and 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some evangelists, and some pastors for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, okay, that they may be edified. This is what is necessary. People need to get built up to do the work. If you're sitting around, it's just going to be a question of, what is it that you want? Why are you here? Why are you worshiping? And I agree with Pastor Price when he said church is the most insane place in the world. You can sit there for 50 years, never getting your degree, never wanting to go forward and putting what you learned into practice. Okay, and that is that is the religious man at his best. So tonight we're gonna um we're gonna cover a lot, you know, and I don't care what anyone thinks of it. I know what the Lord has shown me, and I know this is why we're going here. Mm -hmm. Why we didn't do earlier teachings on this is because I don't believe we were ready. But now that we're out there moving and shaking and hitting the streets and we're praying for more power and we're praying for a stronger anointing, then we need to get into the book of Acts because this is where the acts of the apostles were done after the commandments of Jesus. Okay, so from here, Melissa's going to sing a song for us, and then we're going to, well, she's going to sing a song for the Lord, and then we're going to get right into the study. Doubt your love 
for what we're talking about because there are things of this world that no man can fill you know there's nothing in this life that can really give you everything you're going to need except Jesus Christ and the, and the spirit of God alright so from here I'm going to go through a few quick scriptures to prepare us for what we're getting into uh, the book of Acts again this is part one this is called the Ecclesia you know that the, the word ecclesia means church, but it also means called out ones, those that are separated unto God. Now, of course, we can't be the ecclesia today if we are doing everything that the world is doing and instituting the world into the ones that God has called out and think that it's going to be recognized as his church. Because we understand a church without the Holy Ghost is not the church at all. Okay, so God is only here for those who he has called and which he has called all men. But when he calls us, we have to be separated unto him, okay? And when we are sanctified, then we can go out and minister and preach and tell people about Jesus because, 
you know, people would assume that we had been with him. Time spent with the Lord is what makes it necessary. And when you were in this world, living your life, and, you know, it, it's impossible to be bold with the world preaching the gospel. But when you get separated unto Jesus Christ, man, you have no problem going out there and telling them. Why? Because you had been with Jesus. All right, so we're going to get started in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 1. Okay? And this is just, you know, laying the floor for what we're going to do. So 1 Corinthians 10 and 1, and it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples uh, to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Okay, so we're making clear this story I would say it was about, now, about 3,500 years ago, because I believe around the time of David was 1,000 B.C. Jesus came in 2,000 B.C., so I would say about those 1,500 years added with the 2,000 years that we're living in. This story was 3,500 years ago, and they're telling us that this was an example. For these things that happened with Moses and his people, these were only examples that we may understand and believe. So we know that every story in this Bible is important, and that's what I wanted to bring up. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So he's telling us not to tempt Christ as some of them tempted. Okay, so you know that Jesus Christ was the God of the Old Testament because they're comparing him today with what was going on in that day. Mm -hmm. Now all these things happened unto them for, oh it says verse 10. Oh, verse 10, right. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, like examples, and they are written for our admonition, meaning our warning, okay, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we understand that for everything in this Bible, no matter what the age was, they were all written for our warning, for our correction, that we may understand what God wants for us and move forward. Now we're going to find out why this is relevant in the book of Acts. Okay, so from here, let's go to Luke 17, and we'll start at verse 20. All right, so Luke 17, and verse 20, and it says... And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, 
neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, this is what Jesus meant when he said that we need to be, um, you know, born again. So that way we could have the kingdom come forward in us. Okay, so a display of the kingdom coming forward is the work that the Lord does through us. And many of us have not yielded our vessels to this degree to where we could bring forth the kingdom. Every time we minister, every time we sing, every time that we give it to the Lord or we, we're out there telling people about the truth of Jesus Christ, there is the kingdom coming unto you. Okay, so I just wanted to make that example real quick because a lot of people are looking for the kingdom in the church. This thing is organically grown from the inside out to where we become members of the body of Christ, which the Bible claims are the children of God. And he says that only those that are of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Okay, because there is the manifestation of what the Lord will do. Let's go to Luke 11 real quick. So they called, uh, let's start at verse uh, 14. So this is Luke 11 and 14, and it says, And he was casting out a devil, meaning Jesus, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Now if you look up Beelzebub, it means the Lord of the flies, the Lord of them that fly. And it also means Lord of the Dunghill. Okay, so the Lord of the Flies is like the Lord of the Dunghill. And this is what these people are calling Jesus, the King of the Devils, the Chief of the Devils. And another tempting him sought him a sign from heaven. But he knoweth their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall the kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. So Jesus is saying, if I'm casting out devils, it's not possible that I'm of Satan because Satan wouldn't cast out Satan. Now you know that there are the Catholic priests that go into agreement through exorcism where the demon may obey you, but that's not casting out a demon. Okay, so when you see demons casted out, it shows that there is one kingdom that is stronger than the other, and it's on display, so that all may see that these two kingdoms do exist. So casting out devils is important. Verse 19, And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Okay, so... You know, a lot of churches like to overlook this, talking about casting out devils ain't necessary or that was of that time. Well, Jesus here is saying that, you know, if he cast out devils, then you know that the kingdom of God has come. And if this has come unto us, then we know that the kingdom of God is with us. So this is also telling us that this is beneficial in terms of what the church should be doing. Okay, casting out devils is no easy thing, but it is for someone who believes and has faith. Okay, so the, this is essential in the life of a church or the body of Christ. So let's move on. I want to go on to another spot, but I'm just, you know, laying this stuff down. Let's go to Matthew 16. 
and we'll start at verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, and it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, that the Son of Man, that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, which is Elijah, others Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom, whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it wasn't Peter that he's basing everything on his church. We've gone over this in the past. But upon this faith, upon believing that Jesus is the Christ, okay, the Son of the living God, that God, upon that faith, upon that rock, upon Jesus Christ, he would build his church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So these keys to the kingdom of heaven are not what the Catholic Church and other people are telling you it is. It's not a physical set of keys with Peter sitting at the door waiting for you to walk in so he can see if he's good enough so he can allow you to come in. These keys are the authority that is given to every single believer that believes Jesus Christ. And this is why he said that which is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Because when you stretch forth your hands to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, you've got the heavens behind you. The kingdom of God coming and saying, that's right, and let it be bound. So you are given the keys to heaven, which is the Holy Ghost, that's what, what, that will allow you to war in effective warfare and having the authority of the kingdom. This ain't got nothing to do with Peter. You know, this is about the authority that God gives a believer. Verse 20. You want to say something? Verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Man, I wish to, to what degree that when the Lord is calling some of us to go forward and to do things, I don't care if it's your mama, your daddy, your wife, your husband, whomever, okay, that comes to you and tells you that you shouldn't do this because, or we should wait on this, or that should happen, or whatever. Man, I wish that they had the spirit in them to turn to that person and say, 
get thee behind me, Satan. Because the only one that doesn't want to get the kingdom of God moving and don't want to do the things of the Lord is Satan himself. I don't care how well mastered it is. That's got nothing to do with this. Okay, this is about the will of the Lord playing out and what we need to do. And if anybody tries to stop you from doing it, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's right. And I'll tell you why I said that. Look at what he says next. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so right away, you have a burden to bear. You've got work to do. You have to die so that God may live in you. Okay, so that means dying out to the flesh daily. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it a man profited? For what is um, a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That, that is absolutely nothing. Now, the reason I'm going into this is because we're going to see that these disciples knew that Jesus meant business. He meant business. For anyone that's reading this Bible that wants to follow Jesus, you have to know that he means business. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what he's requiring. Right. They took him for what he said, and they believed. They didn't just go with, well, I think he might have been talking to somebody else because, you know, after all, we have a good life and we need to live. He's letting you know right here the type of belief, the type of faith, the things that there would be, to, to the things that we would need to act on behalf of the Lord. All right, so from here we'll move on. Let's go to uh, Matthew um, 28, and let's start at verse 16. See, people compromise God's word. And, and see, much of that has to do with you not wanting to do. It doesn't have anything to do with what he said. He meant what he said. And every promise that he guaranteed to every overcomer is yours. But you have to want this. That's why Satanists came in and had all these different Bible versions and even questioning the, the fact that the validity of the King James. Regardless, the point is not the fact that it's called the King James. That's got very little to do with it. Exactly. So Matthew 28, verse 16, and it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain uh, where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So even though they sit there and they see him, there are some there that doubt. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 17, a wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. Because there is nothing that you can show man that does not want to do. You can show him signs and miracles. That won't make him move. What makes him move is faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus Christ formed in him. Though some doubt it. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now you know when we talk about the end of the world, that is the end of the world. That means the end of the age. Okay, when time and space ends is when Jesus Christ comes back to do what needs to be done. 
but he's saying, I'm with you. Well, it can be the end of the age, too, when he comes back in the millennial reign to reign, but it's going to be a different age. Right. We are all still in this age, and Jesus is saying, go out and teach and observe all things whatsoever I command you. Now, we've heard some of his commandments, but the point here is, we have to believe that Jesus was with us today as he was then. Well, we'll never get up and do what he says. But he says in verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So if Christ be formed in you, what have you got? All power in heaven and in earth. Right. You may not be ruling, but one thing is for sure is that Christ in you, there is nothing to stop you from what needs to be done. Now, this is what he promised the disciples, and this is what they have. So we'll go to Mark 16, and then from there, I think we'll go right into the teaching. We'll start at verse 9. Mark 16 and verse 9, and it says, Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom... He had cast seven devils, and she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that uh, he was alive and had uh, been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told, and told it unto the residue, like the remnant or whoever was there, uh, neither believed they uh, they then. So they didn't believe them either. Everyone thought that this was, he was telling tall tales. Verse 14, Afterwards he appeared unto the eleven, and they sat at me, and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, meaning like cast out serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So these were promises granted by the Lord Jesus Christ for all those who believed. And then he says in 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he, re he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Okay, so they went out and did exactly what Jesus Christ said. These last two verses are just the, how can you put it? I'm going to say the summary, I guess. Yeah, of, of what Jesus did concerning, I mean, what the, what the apostles did in the book of Acts. Okay, and this is why the Bible tells the church, like it says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Matter of fact, let's go there real quick and we'll get right in. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. But this is what the Lord is trying to get people to understand concerning the church. It's actually 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. Everyone there? Almost. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1, and it says, 
Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. All right, so first, we can't be malicious towards our brother or have anything like that. There should be no guile, no trickery, no deception in our words. Hypocrisy, we should just serve the Lord and the Lord only and cast those things aside. And envies, desiring things that other people have, evil speaking, that can be murmuring and going against the things that the Lord had told us to do. Okay, so he says, laying all that stuff aside from the old man, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, okay, so as far as newborn babes are concerned, you should have the sincere milk of the word. See, now, when you tell people, newborn babes, sincere milk of the word, right away, everyone goes to sugar gospel. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about as a newborn babe, getting the fundamentals down of what you should believe. Many of those things we had already discussed. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to believe he is the only way. And you've got to believe that he died for your sins. Okay, these are where most of the doctrine has come from. That he died, he buried, he was buried, and he resurrected, and he ascended on the third day, and then he is coming back. Mm -hmm. Okay, now those are the fundamental proofs, because upon that, you build your faith, and then you can read the gospel of what the Lord wants us to have. Yep. If so be, ye have tasted of the Lord as gracious. So, even when these things are being taught to us, and you enter into relationship with him, man, you'll say, God is good. He's never left me without food on my table. He's never allowed me to go, and I've been in some dangerous situations, and man, the Lord delivered me, even in my foolishness. So this is about, you know, tasting the Lord, and man, he's so gracious. Man, I messed up on him, I don't know how many times, and yet he delivered me. So these are things that we've got to be aware of is what he's trying to say here. Right. Verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So Jesus came as a living stone. Now you know that, like it mentions in Matthew 7, about houses and towers and things being built, but he being the foundation, being that rock upon which the church stands on. And that's what he meant when he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. So he was speaking of himself and their faith towards him. All right, verse 5. Ye also, so it ain't just what Jesus did. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Okay, so we are lively stones. This building is built of moving around people, people that are doing the will of God. So it's going to be a bunch of people of the faith, of like precious faith in Jesus Christ that builds this house that Christ may live in. He's done with the temple. He doesn't deal with temples anymore. And we're going to find out that the disciples didn't deal in temples either. They went into temples to preach the gospel. But from the tabernacle that moved around in the wilderness unto Solomon's temple, which was a more permanent place. When that was destroyed by the Babylonians, then came Herod's temple. Okay, now the temple is within you. Outer court, the flesh. Inner court, the soul. You know, um, in the, um, the most holy place is your spirit. Okay, so this is where God is dealing with. And this is the church of God. This is the ecclesia. The lively stones that are going out to do the will of God and believing him every step of the way. Mm -hmm. 
So it'll be like instead of one thing, having a bunch of Christ walking around doing his will. Now, I'm not saying that we are Jesus. I'm saying we are the sons of God, Christ formed in us to do his will. Uh, some people talked about, yeah, but don't you need churches where to put people and things like that? You know, I believe that for a while, too. But let's just say the church was out moving and shaking. Who would lack? Who would lack? You're out there doing the will of the Lord all day with a bunch of unselfish people with you, going around full of the Spirit, healing, casting out devils, giving people that are in need. What would we lack? You don't need a building at that point, okay? So this is the point that I'm making. Yep. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that uh, believeth on him shall not be confounded. So that is a promise of the Lord that we should have. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which uh, be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So not only is he our, our foundation, he is also the very top, the very chiefest of everything that we have. And that's why when they call Jesus the first and the last, the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, is for one, to you're almost like having Jesus to stand on that you may grow, but then he is the cap which covers the fullness of Christ being grown in us. Mm -hmm. Now that's how awesome Jesus Christ is, that everything has something to do with him. So from here, let's go on to our teaching, the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to read and get a little history on this. All right, so um, we have an understanding of the time period and where we are and what this whole thing is about. So we can start in Acts 1, and I'm just going to read this, and it says the author... Although the author does not name himself, evidence outside of the scripture and, in, and, um, and inferences uh, from the book itself lead to the conclusion that the author was Luke. The earliest of the external testimonies appears in the, I guess it's Moratorian uh, canon, and that's uh, 170 AD. Then it says where the um, explicit statement was made that Luke was the author of both the third gospel and the acts of all the apostles. Eusebius, uh, page 325, lists information from numerous sources to identify the author of these books was Luke, Ecclesiastical History, pages 3 and 4. Within the writing itself are some uh, clues as to who the author was. Luke, the companion of Paul, in the description of the happenings in Acts, Certain passages make use uh, of the pronoun we, as these uh, points, uh, the author, at these points, the author includes himself as a companion of Paul and his travels. Now that's in Acts 16, 10 through 7, uh, through 20, um, 5 through 21. This is uh, 21 and 18. This is 27 and 1. This is 28 and 16. And then it says, a historian um, as careful with details as uh, this author proves to be, oh, to be would have good reason uh, for choosing the use, for choosing to use we in the, some of the places uh, elsewhere. Uh, the author was therefore probably present with Paul at the particular events described in the we sections. 
These wee passages include the period of Paul's two-year imprisonment at Rome. Uh, during this time, Paul wrote, among other letters, Philemon and Colossians, uh, and then he sent greetings from his companions, and Luke is included among them, Philemon 23 and 24, Colossians 4, 10 through 17. In fact, after eliminating those who, uh, for one reason or another, would not fit the requirements uh, for the author of Acts, uh, Luke's, Luke is left as the most likely candidate. Okay, I want to um, get a little past that. So this is the dates of the books. Two dates are possible for the writing of this book. It's 63 AD, soon after the last event recorded in the book was about 70 AD or even later. Okay, so they're talking about, you know, right after the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, the importance. The book of Acts provides a bridge for the writings of the New Testament as the second volume to Luke's Gospel. It joins what Jesus began both to do and teach, as told in the Gospels, with what he uh, continued to do and teach through the apostles, preaching and the establishment of the church, besides linking the uh, Gospel narratives on the one hand and on the apost apostolic letters uh, on the other. It supplies an account of the life of Paul from which we can learn the settings of from his letters. Geographically, its story spans the lands between Jerusalem where the churches began and Rome, uh, the political center of the, of the empire. Historically, it recounts the first 30 years of the church. Uh, it is also a bridge that ties the church in the beginning with each succeeding age. This book may be studied to gain an understanding of the principles that ought to govern the church of any age. So that tells us right there that it's not about what happened back then. They're talking about what we need to know now and what this whole thing is about concerning Jesus. Okay, so, you know, I'm, we're using it for, yeah, history, but this is also to build up the saints that people understand what the real church of God is. And this is why we got a teaching coming up on the Valley of Dry Bones. Because people need to understand that the former rain had fallen, as we're going to read, and that was in the book of Acts. But the latter rain that the Bible speaks about has not fallen yet, but I believe it's on its way. So this time when the latter rain breaks out, okay, then no one, excuse me, no one's going to be ready for this church. This is going to be the church that the Lord is going to bring that will obey him. That, that are going to be the, the last uh, people at the end of this age that are doing the will of God. No more play play, no more church, no more tithes and offering. It's going to be the real deal for real. Now we know that the latter rain was to mature the crops. It wasn't, you know, the first rain was to grow, start growing the crops and nurture them. The latter rain is for the maturing of the crops, all right? And this is for the maturing of the saints, that we may be complete in Christ. So that age is still coming up. So we can get started. Let's get started in Acts. Acts verse 1. Is it too hot in here? Yeah, Cast that spirit away. Spirit of like this, love. All right, so anyway, and it says, um, this is Acts 1 and 1. 
The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, uh, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also shewed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. So Jesus' doctrine toward them was flawless, and of course Jesus wasn't here with us when we decided to believe, but our faith is based on, as we talked about before, what is written, whether we believe it or not. All right, so it says infallible proofs, but everything he spoke of pertained to the kingdom. All right, verse 4, and being um, assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So he didn't just tell them that they will be witnesses just in Judea or Samaria or Jerusalem, he also said the uttermost parts of the earth. So you would gather from there, from the very work that he gave them, that his work would branch out, that these people may believe. Okay, so it didn't just, it began with the apostles, but of course it didn't end with them, because then you'd have to ask yourself, what are we doing now? What are we believing now? Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So this is the ascension of Jesus while he, he said his last words to them, what they would receive, what they would have. He was taken up unto heaven. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then return they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olive, like I guess that's the Mount of Olives, uh, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. Okay, so the Lord had left even on the Sabbath day. You know, but it was a Sabbath day's journey just to get back to where they were. So they spent the whole day, they watched Jesus leave, and then they spent the rest of the day getting back to Jerusalem. So nobody was worshiping the Sabbath on this day. Mm -hmm. Let's just make that clear. Verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zealot, which is like a zealot, or I mean, not a zealot, a zealot, which is kind of like those um, political people that wanted to, you know, take Rome by force and fight with political power. 
and Judas, the brother of James. Okay, so there was Judas and James. These were the two brothers of Jesus Christ. Okay, there was a James. He wrote the book of James. And then there was Judas who wrote the book of Jude. Both of them were brothers of Jesus. The other James, which was the brother of John, was killed later on that we're going to read. But he didn't write any of these books. Mm -hmm. But he was killed by King Herod. So let's continue. Uh, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about an hundred and twenty. So you have that one, two popping up again, like the number 12. All right. And then it says, uh, men and brethren of this scripture must needs have uh, been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So he's talking about this land. Uh, we'll just keep reading, but anyway. Uh, for he was numbered with us and uh, had obtained part of this ministry. So they're talking about, hey, Judas used to be one of us. He was a partaker in the ministry. He did everything we did, but we know Judas didn't last. He betrayed the Lord, verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in the proper tongue uh, El Sedama, that is to say, the field of blood. So they're talking about when Judas betrayed Jesus, you know, through his iniquity, that this thing had to happen even to Jesus, how he was sacrificed. But Judas himself, you know, killed himself. He hung himself, not wanting to, you know, deal with the grief that he had. So this was called a field of blood for what happened with Jesus, that he purchased it. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, let another take. Okay, so this is speaking of Judas. This is Psalm 69, when it talks about that for what Judas did to betray the Lord, a bishopric is like, you know, an elder or overseer or how the Lord may judge and discern his church. Okay, but they're talking here that, you know, after what happened to Judas and those like him, let his place be desolate. Let no one come upon him or even follow after him. So, so Judas would have been like a kind of cursed uh, person, kind of like an antichrist, like that no man go his way or be like him. All right, so verse 21, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, uh, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, I guess that's it, Barsabbas, uh, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, shew whether of these two thou hast chosen. So the people said, okay, we have no Judas now. Judas is already off the scene. There's 11 of us. We know that there should be 12. Jesus chose 12. So there were two men left there. One was Barsabbas and the other was Matthias. And these are the two that they chose and said, Lord, 
you know, pick one of them for us that this guy may be an apostle. Mm -hmm. You know, find out it was neither one. Mm -hmm. Verse 24, and they, wait, uh, verse 25, that they may take part of this ministry uh, and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, and he might go to his own place. And they have forth, and they gave forth their lots, and a lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, right away, you heard about the work that they had done. The Lord never asked them to do this. Okay, they cast lots, which meant the Holy Ghost wasn't even involved in it. But they chose this guy, Matthias, to be that apostle, and you cast lots. Any other thing came from instruction of the Lord. So we know, because I don't want to really beat around the bush concerning this, Paul was the 12th apostle. For every apostle that was chosen of Jesus Christ, he went and handpicked them all together. Now, you know, when we get into Paul and his Damascus, Damascus experience, he met the Lord directly. It wasn't like somewhere to say, hey, Paul, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. Come on over. The same way Jesus chose these 12 disciples is the same way that Jesus went after Paul. And this is why I agree with some scholars. This is why you never hear of Matthias again. He was chosen for this, but you never heard about Matthias doing any miracles. He might have been affected and given the spirit in the midst, but he was not the 12th apostle. All right, so we'll go to Acts chapter 2. We'll start at verse 1. Anyone has any questions so far? No? Everybody's fine? Okay. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So, you know, Pentecost is like, let me just uh, throw this out here. Pente means 50, okay? But remember with the Hebrews, they would have weeks upon weeks or seven years before they would get the Pentecost day. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to um, shed light on this real quick. Pentecost, it means the 50th day. The second of the three great Jewish feasts uh, celebrated at Jerusalem yearly and and seventh week after the Passover, and grateful recognition of the completed harvest. So notice, it was supposed to come, like we did in that teaching of the seven annual sacred feast, it came at the beginning of the harvest. Okay, so what's going to happen in the harvest? Usually when the harvest comes, you get the latter rain. Mm -hmm. So this is about what's going to take place. Now it's a strong definition, feminine of 50 of being implied from Passover, that is, the festival of Pentecost. And that's why it says seven weeks, you know, with the Passover. And then you have Pentecost, which is the 50th. Okay? So there's 49 weeks, and then there is the 50th. Okay? Which is Pentecost. All right. So, all right. So this is where everybody was. This is verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it was filled all the house and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, I want to make a quick point here because I know a lot of people are told you got the Holy Ghost when you got saved and all that stuff. Um, people need to understand what... The baptism in the spirit is that is the very next move it usually begins with your baptism before the lord now some people have been baptized in the spirit before but if we aren't cleansed and righteous and done whatever 
and we haven't prayed through for the Spirit to come upon us, then we need to get rebaptized and go through it again. Mm -hmm. Why? Because this time we're giving it to the Lord cleanly and just saying, Lord, I've turned away from where I am. I, you know, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm giving my life to you now on a very serious note. Okay, so from there, you get baptized by water, and then you pray through for a breakthrough. They tell everybody, I remember as a kid, if you get baptized, man, you're supposed to pray through for the Lord to come upon you. And I don't know about the cloven tongue feeling, because, of course, you don't see over your head while you're praying. But maybe this is what they saw in the Spirit. But when the Spirit comes upon you, you will feel the presence of the Lord and that speaking with a new tongue. Okay, so speaking in tongues is for today. It's not some old doctrine. Jesus said for them that believe, they will speak with new tongues. So this is not just a thing of what was back then and it's not today. And, you know, that's foolishness. You better hear what the Bible is telling us that we need to do. First, they mentioned after they were baptized that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's right. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. So every nation under heaven was present. Okay? And this is what I want to tell people, too, because we're about to go into this. When people try and tell you, I've been a Buddhist for years, I've been a Muslim, I've been this, I've been that. My ancestors never heard of and never knew of Jesus. You know what? I'm only going to be up front. When we go through these lists of names, you'll find that many of these people are people of these religions that claim to never know Jesus. So even though some of these people were Israelites from those regions, they were also given the spirit to go back and preach them. So the gospel did get to someone in your family or you. And if they chose not to receive it, then you know what? It came to you, and you can now do something about it. Yep. But there is no excuse for anyone here, and that's why it's good to look up names of the Bible, because what you will find out and see is many of these are the cultures in the Middle East. They're cultures from the Far East. They're cultures from people in Africa and in, you know, where you would consider around where Japheth was in Europe, all right? The Bible, it was preached everywhere. Now, some people would say, why didn't you go to South America? There were no people in South America at that time, or if they were, the gospel was going to spread and reach out there. But it began first in Jerusalem, the motherland, okay, where Jesus Christ, um, was, where he died, he was buried, and he resurrected, and everything spilled forth from there. Mm -hmm. All right, so there might have been people in other countries, but the gospel got to you. And that's plain and simple. All right, so it says, now when... Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So what we understand here about the gift of tongues is the gift of tongues is not speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues can either be a prayer language between you and the Lord that only you understand. And it can be a language given to you, which is the same. You can be speaking in tongues, but you can deliver the gospel to those that, you know, want to receive it. You can be sent to Africa and know no bit of Swahili whatsoever, but the Lord can put the Spirit in you that you can speak the gospel that they will understand. Okay, and this is how Paul moved around. He didn't know every language. Paul went around and was able to distribute the gospel because the Holy Ghost made it clear, plain to them. All right, so it says, verse 7, 
And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Like, aren't they from Galilee? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Uh, Parthians, you know, those are people like in certain areas of Asia, the Medes, those are the people in the Middle East that mix with Persia, and Elamites. Elamites are Persians themselves, okay? And the dwellers of Mesopotamia, which would be somewhat like Babylonians. Mm -hmm. Then it says, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, um, Phrygia, I guess that, Phrygia, and um, Pamphylia, and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are like Gentiles that decide to get into the faith of believing Jesus Christ or the one true God. Okay, so those were proselytes are. And then, so you got a lot of different races here that were a part of this. Crete, people from the island of Crete. Some people consider them kind of like Mediterranean, Romans, or Greeks. You know, but on the Isle of Crete, they got a lot of Greek culture. So I would imagine they were Greeks. And then you have uh, Arabians. Everyone knows who, who Arabians are. Mm -hmm. uh, we do hear them speak in our tongues and wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? So people were trying to understand, what does this mean that you got people that should be speaking the Koine Greek at this point, or maybe Aramaic, which would have been in the land at this time? So what does this mean to speak, you know, all these people are speaking to us in our own language? So this is verse 13. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. And you know what? That's the mentality of the current people today that are unbelievers. Now you see the believers are receiving it and speaking in tongues, but you got some unbelievers here talking about that these men are of new wine. So you see it's the same mentality today for people that will tell you that the gifts of the Spirit are done away with. And this is why I love Peter, because Peter was the boldest, it seems, of the apostles that he spoke up. All right, and it says... But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So anyone has ever had been touched by the Holy Ghost or you've had someone lay hands on you or you were baptized in the Spirit, there is a drunkenness feeling that you have. It's almost like a heavy intoxication of, of the spirit. Mm -hmm. so he said, these men are not drunk with wine, as you suppose. They're drunk, but it's not with wine. They are full of the spirit. That's right. All right. And then it says, it's not the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will shew wonders in heaven uh, above the signs, in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned unto darkness, and the moon into blood, 
before the great and notable day of the Lord come. So Peter was speaking of the former and the latter rain. Hold where you are. Let's go to Joel chapter 2 real quick. Joel chapter 2. Alright. Alright, Joel chapter 2. We'll start at verse 21. Everyone there? Because this is the prophecy that was fulfilled. But if you notice, Peter now under the influence of the Holy Ghost is speaking about Joel as if he was there. And I mean, it's word for word. So this is what the Holy Ghost will give us when he'll put the word into you to, to speak, to bring forth. Right. So, so it's truly not relying on your own wisdom. I think you can put it back now. But it says, Fear not, O land, be glad, rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, as he will cause to come down um, for you the rain, the former and the latter rain in the first month. So you see here, he spoke first of the former rain. So he spoke of the prophecy to come again. The latter rain is around the time of Christ. And I'll tell you why that it says that. Look at verse 24. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fats uh, shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. So he's going to restore... What they talk about in Joel 1, the canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, these are the demons that have been in our lives that have tried to destroy us and take you away from God. Mm -hmm. These are the things that keep us from receiving the Spirit, how they just eat away at you like a virus. But he's saying that the Lord is going to come against them. He set that great army against them because they were in sin. Okay, so this is what he's talking about, that they will be um, sent among you. And ye shall eat and plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath uh, dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. So he's talking about being restored and redeemed fully. Uh, where am I? Verse 27. Yes. And it says, and ye shall know that I am the midst. I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will shoot wonders in heavens and in earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned in, into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So this is telling you right here that Peter was quoting Joel chapter 2. But you see how the prophecy had come forward here 
and um and Acts the second chapter. All right, so we'll just move on because Peter's going to mention quite a few things concerning the Old Testament here, but he's trying to link Jesus with the Old Testament, Jesus Christ revealed, I mean, or concealed, the New Testament, Jesus Christ revealed. All right, so we'll get back to Acts 20, and I believe we're going to start at verse 21. Acts 2, sorry. Acts 2, and we'll start at verse 21, and it says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Uh, him being delivered by the uh, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should uh, be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue be glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. So he's talking about here. Now, Peter just got hit by the Spirit. The Holy Ghost fell on him. And right away, Peter's sermon turns everyone back to Jesus. Okay, this is why I'm out here. This is what all this is about. This is what he prophesied. So he started linking Jesus to Moses, to David, to Joel, to all the things in the Old Testament, showing that you cannot have a Bible void of Jesus. Right. Maybe one day the people in Judaism will realize this. Yeah. Okay, so it says, where am I in verse 26 or 27? Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy uh, with thy countenance. I believe that is, that's Psalm, uh, oh man, it's not Psalm 22. I think it's one of Psalm, oh man, which one is it where, I think they were talking about the same thing in, Joel 9, in John 19. Which one do you have there? Well, it's in verse 30, but it's Psalm 132. Psalm 132. That's the one it was okay. that uh, that he did that, that uh, Peter's talking about right now. So he says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So the reason why Peter here is going on to David, this is important, because whether you were a Pharisee or, you know, just a Jew or whomever, if you were raised in the Israelite faith, I believe even maybe even the Philistines and other groups would have said, oh, we know who David is, and we know that David was a man of God. So this is why he's trying to address people. This is the grace of God by saying, guys, you guys remember David? 
Now, you know he was a prophet. You know most of his psalms that came true. You know that you guys love and respect David. Well, I want you to hear what David is saying of Jesus Christ, that you might believe. Mm -hmm. So this is, all, this is why he brought up David. Verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore uh, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now uh, see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now that's Psalm 110. But this is, Dave, this is he talking again about a prophecy of David. So in your spare time, read Psalm 110. It's going to say the exact same thing. So he's saying, you guys love David, but David didn't ascend. But David was saying, the Lord, the God the Father said unto my Lord, who is David's Lord, Jesus Christ, sit down on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. So, so Peter is linking all this back together just to show what Jesus Christ is. That's right. 36. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made, uh, hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So he said first, Repent to be baptized, and you will receive for the remission of sins the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But notice when Peter preached to them, he did not spare their feelings. He told you guys, you guys murdered the king of glory. You guys murdered the prince of life. You guys did what you did. And this is in your filth and in your wickedness. You did a terrible work. But see, we are all speaking in new tongues because this Jesus sent the promise, as he told David, as David spoke of in his Psalms, that we will have this. You know, the gift of the Holy Ghost. So those people were pricked in their hearts and they said, what shall we do? But you see, they had to be preached, lost, damned, going to hell to understand what receiving Jesus Christ was all about. Mm -hmm. All right. So it says, verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So he's saying, man, get out of the world. Okay? Get away from those things that you're seeing people do in the world, and you need to come up under Christ. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and in the same day were also I mean were added unto them about three thousand souls. So you have one sermon, 3,000 souls of people coming in. But the first thing he said after the baptism, or those who wanted to be baptized, hey man, save yourselves 
from this onward generation. That's why when the Spirit fell on Jesus in Matthew 4 or, or Luke 4, the Spirit led him immediately into the wilderness. That's why John the Baptist came out of the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey, separated to be used of God. And this is what the church of God is supposed to be. It's supposed to be separated. You know, the called out ones. If people want Jesus, then people need to, you know, decide that, hey, I can't live in the world and be of Christ. Okay, I've got to come over here if I want Jesus and eternal life. But what the church has done, yeah, they go out talking to people, but they're including people into the worldliness of the church. Mm -hmm. And that is not what we're supposed to be doing. Nope. We separate to elevate. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So these guys are all together on one accord. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. If you think that we're going to have a church without spot or blemish, not having fear of the Lord, then you've got it wrong. Because the fear of the Lord, like the Bible says, is the beginning of all wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is one of the seven spirits of God. Mm -hmm. You look that up in, um, in Isaiah chapter 11. You have to fear the Lord in order to be a part of this. Because right. other than that, you will go in your own way. Verse 45, And all that believed were together and had... I mean, 44. Yeah. And all that believed were together and had all things common. So there was no one saved, always saved person here. There was no pre-tribulation rapture guy here. There was one guy, I don't know if Jesus is the Son of God. And that's why I told Redeemed and other people like that, you want to be a part of the Hebrew Roots movement, I'm over here with Christ. I got nothing to do with that. Yep. And that's why even times he wanted to stay at night, I said, nah, man, you know, you got to take that someplace else. Why? Because we're not common. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I'm not putting him down. I'm just making a point that even though you're in a rough situation and I hear you, but I understand who your God is and it's not my God. I can't be associated with that. You're not a part of the body of Christ. And it's just that simple. So he says, they all believed and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Man, the Lord is just waiting for this. He's waiting for a selfless church. When we get out of self, when we get out of our daily affairs, when we get out of what's good for me, and we start giving to the community, and everybody comes together on one accord under Christ, not just one accord, one accord under Jesus Christ, we understand to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbor as ourselves, Man, the Lord is going to do a mighty work. That's Look right. at verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were all focused on love towards the Lord and love towards one another. Single of heart. No dealing in self. So they did worship in a temple, but then they went house to house breaking bread. It wasn't just held to one building. They were out there in community, in common unity, yep. doing the will of the Lord. This is the church. 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. 
man, what an awesome thing. When we get out of self, the Lord can fill us, and then we can go out and do what he has called us to do. So if no one has anything to add, we are going to go to Acts 3. All right. Acts 3 and verse 1, and it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily, okay, uh, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, uh, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. You know, beautiful can be like, you know, what they called him. But I, I looked up, beautiful can also mean like the right hour, the perfect timing. Okay, so it didn't really have anything to do with this guy. This was the time of deliverance. This was the time of redemption. So beautiful can be like in perfect timing with God, God's timing. Yep. All right, so it says to ask alms to them that entered into the temple who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asking alms. So this guy was on the outside of the temple asking for money. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. So we know that this guy was crippled. Peter said, look unto us. Like, look at me. You know, and then, then performed a miracle. I mean, what boldness to tell someone, look at me. Look on us. Because this is about to happen. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which had um, which sat for alms, excuse me, at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. The only thing Stop it. I mean, because these miracles are still going on. The only thing that's stopping people from doing what needs to be done is that they don't believe. Yep. And this is why you got these warlocks and these lion wizards in the pulpit telling people these things are old. Because the devil, they are ministers of Satan. If anybody tells you the gifts of the Spirit are done away, they are the ministers of Satan. And more, more importantly, you're blaspheming the Holy Ghost. That's right. So you need to know exactly what you're saying. If you don't understand spiritual things, then keep your yap shut. But the one thing that you should not be doing is speaking of this and saying that there is no more power, there's no more gifts. Because this is what the Lord wants us to do. This is better than any money. That this man was able, people were able to see the miracles of God. And what did they do after that? They praised God. And this is why the church is stagnant today, because God ain't doing anything. All right? People like God to just pay their bills or do this or do that. Man, we want all the way in, unto the most holy place where the works of God can be done, that we can be redeemed, that people can see that Jesus Christ is alive. So Peter's sermon can become a part of our lives. Amen. Not just what Peter yep. said, but what we can get out That's of it. Right. This is Lord. what you want. Yep. 
You don't want to just, you know, well, the Lord sure did move. Like Pastor Price said, ain't nothing happened. We'll look cripple in, we'll look cripple out again. He said, I'm not going to pretend. And I agree. Yep. Man, we want the real good works of God. But we have got to believe him. And the only way we're going to believe him is if we separate from the things of the world that, that keep us naturally carnally minded. That's right. All right, so verse 11, and it says, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly, that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look uh, ye so earnestly on us as though our as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, have glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Remember when they chose Barabbas over Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what they're talking about. And then it says, verse 15, And killed the prince of life, whom God had raised from the dead, whereof ye are witnesses. And in his name through faith, in his name have made this man strong, whom ye see and know, ye the faith which is by him, have given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. So Peter is not sparing a thing here. Peter is saying, why are you looking at me? I had nothing to do with this. It is Jesus Christ in me that did this. What an awesome thing to be able to go out there and to give praise to him. You think with these atheists talking their talk out there when we go and minister? Man, when they see this, man, Jesus Christ is alive. I don't know what garbage you learned in school, but that has got nothing to do with the supernatural works of Jesus. This is why it's so important that we get full of Christ, because this is the only place where you can show that Jesus Christ is alive. Not by what hearing other people said, but I witnessed. I was there. This is not just some religious relic. This is the truth. Yeah. And even today, the deception runs so greatly because you'll you'll tell that to people, and then they'll say, "Well, wasn't it you? Aren't you self empowered? Aren't you self enlightened? It's you that did it." And you're like, "No, no, 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 no. I didn't do anything. It's Jesus mm -hmm. Christ in me." And it's like you hit a barrier with them because they don't want to believe that. Exactly. But when they see limbs grow out, mm -hmm. when they see it with their own eyes, they can't speculate any longer. No. They can choose to say, "I don't want to see it." But when they see it, you know for a fact there is nothing a doctor or a scientist could do that that happened here. So this is why it's so important that we get to glorify the Lord. We don't want to miss out on this because this is the most important thing. Glorifying Jesus Christ in this day and age. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. That's what the baptizing in the Spirit is for. Not for us. Mm -hmm. So we can let the world know our God is alive. He's alive today as he was before, sitting on the right hand of majesty on high. That's, right. that's what we need. Verse 18, but those things which God before 
I had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath um, so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all uh, his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses, for Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet uh, shall the Lord God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, uh, him shall ye hear in all in all things uh, whatsoever he shall say unto you. Now you can read this in your spare time. Go to Deuteronomy 18 and 15. But this is where they will talk about the prophet. When he said a prophet will come that will be like Moses, but greater than Moses. Mm -hmm. Okay, but according to Islam, they'll tell you that's Muhammad. You know, he was the one. He, he was the prophet to come after then why is Peter here linking Jesus Christ with that prophet of Deuteronomy 18? Yep. See, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. You just got to read it. You can't right. be an expert on it and don't know what it is. That's right. So there is no Muhammad in this Bible anywhere. All right, so where am I? Verse uh, 23. 23, and it says, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, this is Peter still talking. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all thy kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you, uh, first God, saving raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So Peter said, if you don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your sins will be applied to you and you will be destroyed. He told them flat out, even while miracles were being performed. So he's talking about again his time and what was going on, what happened with the prophets. Some people in church may say, well, he was talking to Israel because he made a covenant. Are we not a part of the adoption if we believe Christ? So every promise granted to them will be unto us because we are the children by adoption, just like Romans 8 says. So if no one has anything to add from there, we can go on to Acts chapter 4. Is everyone good? Everyone's ready to get out of here. You're wasting time. And it says, As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So it's not long that they're out here, just two chapters, preaching Jesus, healing people, and you see the authorities are already alerted. You got the false prophets, the, the Sadducees out there that don't believe in the resurrection. Then you'll have the Pharisees and everyone else. But you see, preaching Jesus leads you on a collision course against the world. Mm -hmm. Now, if churches are not going against the world, then that tells you that these churches are of the world. They've got to be. Yep. All right, so it says, verse 3, And they laid hands on him 
and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now um, eventide, like it was evening. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and a number of men was about 5,000. So, I mean, it's like a rushing tide. They took them and threw them in into holding, and people are still being saved. This is what happens when that Holy Ghost catches fire. I mean, it just grows and spreads. Yep. But it all starts in a spark that the Lord will give us. All right, verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. It's like, man, if they're doing good works, leave them alone. Go mind your business. But you see, this is the spirit of Antichrist that doesn't like to see the will of God. Exactly. Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what, by what name ye have done this? My question to them, who says that I owe you any explanation? But this is the, this is the will of man to want to tell people if you're not in a church building. By what authority or what degree do you have a right to do this? My personal relationship with Jesus as a member of the body of Christ, which Amen. you were not, I am going to preach and do what we were told. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. All right, so in verse uh, 8, and it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done, to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. So it's good that you see, while they're being persecuted, I just want to bring up this point. While they're going through persecution right now, Notice, word got back to Caiaphas, the very high priest that was standing there talking about, if you were really the son of God, pull, then come down from your cross. Or he was the one, or you call yourself the son, you blasphemer. These are the guys that smacked Jesus across the face and beat him up before crucifying him. So now it is good that Peter is out here with the gospel and everything is coming back, you know, to where... Uh, Oh, Caiaphas, remember that Jesus you crucified? Well, this is the one that made this person whole. So get out of my face. You know, but it's that sort of thing that Jesus is getting more recognition as things go on. So this is why persecution is important, because this is what we're going to go into in part two of um, the book of Acts. That it's important because you get brought before different places, higher governments and magistrates, that people may understand who Jesus Christ is. So that's why you take very little thought for your life. Acknowledge him. That's right. Verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Remember we read that? Yep. In Peter, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye, we must be saved. Right. Tell them, Peter. <laughs> Then when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them 
that they had been with Jesus. So this is why it's so important because they're saying, man, this guy is answering us the way Jesus did. I oh, mean, he's got to be disciples of his. Jesus would not recognize this church today. No. It has no boldness in him. It is not willing to put its life on the line for him. And it believes in staying within its borders, not wanting to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So here's my witness. Here's the man that was healed. What are you going to say to him? Yep. All right. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? How about leave them alone? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. This is the biggest thing when Jesus said in Matthew 10, that a lot of people are going to turn against the real church of God. And it's going to be the miracles. Because if I am a manifested son of God full of the Holy Ghost that is doing the will of God, then who are you? And they're going to be, they're going to have to answer this before thousands of their congregation members. So you know what we got to do? These guys are messing with our money. They're making us look like phonies, which we are. We got to kill them. And that's what eventually will happen with the church when you stand for Jesus. Because if you're authentic, then they are not. Verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Evil people. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, we, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. So believe me, when you stand for the Lord, those Pharisees might have wanted to do things or Sadducees, but when they saw all those people praising God, you see, they became, they began to think about themselves. Now, if we lay hands on them, there's a chance we might get beat down out here because these people will, will assume that these are men of God. Mm -hmm. All right? So they worried about themselves. Verse 22, For the man was above 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing was shewn. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God and uh, with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant, uh, David, hath said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? That is Psalm chapter 2. So you guys read that in your spare time. But notice when these people were threatened, they came forward. You know, they went to one another. Hey, they threatened our lives. This is what's going on or whatever. But watch what the real church would do. The kings of the, of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, 
whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined uh, before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So you can say to some degree, even though Peter and the guys stood their ground, their lives were threatened right here. Their faith, I'm not going to say is waning, but they're calling for more in the Lord. They are calling for boldness to have more. Okay, that's why it says um, uh, that they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things uh, which he possessed uh, was his own, but they had all things common. So they were of one heart. They were all for the greater cause. They were all for setting forth and doing what Jesus Christ had done. They were not play acting. They were not playing. They really didn't want to do it. They were all in. Okay? You were either all in or out. 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So we're seeing this take place again. Another miracle, another gospel, more evangelisms and souls being one, more added to the church. Okay, because these people are forsaking everything to be in with this. 36. And Joseph, who uh, by the apostle was surnamed Barnabas, uh, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So again, unselfishness, boldness in the Spirit of God, giving to every man as he had need. But one thing they stood on was the truth. And now see, if they had backed down, the Lord wouldn't have granted them all of this. So, you know, that's what I want to tell churches. You don't need to milk and, and, and what do they call those? Uh, what do they do? They shear the sheep. You don't need to do that if everyone is unselfish on one accord. If everyone is doing the will of God, God will supply the needs of the church. You don't have to tell people or try and warn them about being, you know, well, the church has need. And, you know, if you really love the Lord, you give. What about you? What are you giving? So this thing should be selfless all the way around. All right, so we're going to go to Acts chapter 5. If anyone has anything to add, any questions, anything no one understands? All right, Acts 5, verse 1. And it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also, uh, being privy, like being sneaky to it, and brought in and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So, you know, you can't fool around with the real church. 
when everyone is on one accord, the discernment of spirit will be present to let people know, hey, I know what you're doing. So remember in the last chapter, it said that everyone should have a singleness of heart. Everyone was of one heart, of one spirit. They were all on one accord. Now here are two people that are members of the church that are not on one accord. They believe in, yeah, we can give this little bit of offering to the church, but we're going to hold back the rest for ourselves. Well, look at what happens. Verse 4. Whilst it remained, uh, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto me, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Okay, so you don't want to mess around with God. And that's why the true church will be without spot or blemish. Like Pastor Price said, a lot of people want God to be concealed, but buddy, they don't want God to be revealed. Because right. once you start moving in this realm and everybody's on one accord doing the things of the Lord, mm -hmm. man, you better make sure you're right. That's because right. the Holy Ghost can take you out. And the reason why this stuff isn't happening in churches is because the Holy Ghost is not even there. Okay, most of these people are playing around, playing games, or doing their own thing. But once the Lord starts adding to a church, and you start getting blessed, and the Spirit starts moving in there at will, governing the church, man, you better tread softly. I mean, and honestly. Verse 5, and Ananias hearing these words, oh, okay, I, get, I read that part. Verse 6, and the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. So she was privy too. She was sneaky. It says right back in verse 2. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land uh, for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. So one thing we're getting a real understanding of, the Holy Ghost does not want us to be hypocrites. When the Holy Ghost governs, he governs. That means if you're somebody that's not even of Christ, you need to go. All right? Now, see, some people would think this is rude. What is the Holy Ghost doing? He is excluding that which is not of the body. And that's why when you preach this gospel, people will separate all by themselves. People will determine how far they actually want to go because they're like, eh, that seems like it's getting a little hot. So the word of God is going to weed out the undesirables all by himself. It's not going to be anything that we're doing or anything like that. It's just going to be the closer we get to this furnace and in the presence of God, you're going to see people peel back. Because we're going to find that they were acting, that they were not of the Spirit. Yes, sir. Verse 8, it actually almost sounds like Peter gave her a chance to repent. Mm -hmm. And to be honest about what happened. But mm -hmm. she decided to stick with the plan, which ended up killing her anyway. Mm -hmm. Now, I would have assumed, all right, he already knows what happened. Yeah. It's best to be up front and just come out with it. But, oh, no, they wanted to keep it to themselves. Mm -hmm. Don't play with God. Verse 10. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, 
buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So you see, fear has to be a part of the equation. We have got to fear the Lord to be right. Because the Lord was making it clear from this point on. Now anyone else want to try it? You saw what went down. Now you don't see anybody here saying, oh God is mean and he's not, that's not right. They, I'm glad that wasn't me. You know, that's all I'm concerned about, that I'm still in good standing. But the spirit ain't going to play around. Nope. All right, so he says, um, oh, great fear came upon him as many have, um, have heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Okay, so it makes it clear that, you know, you got to take out the cholesterol that's stopping the Holy Ghost. Remember in Acts, not Acts, in uh, 1 Kings uh, 16 through 18 or 19, they talked about the showers had been withholding. I think it's 17 to 19. Well, the rain could not fall because there was sin in the midst. There's cholesterol. So we got to be all searched out and checked out by the Lord that we won't have sin in our lives to stop this blockage. And that's what's stopping a lot of churches from moving forward. They don't preach on sin. They don't address issues such as these. So therefore, the devil has a legal right to stay and stop things up, all right, to the way he would like them to be, and the spirit can't fall. So the spirit may have a few sprinkles here and there on certain people, but you can stop up the spirit of God by, you know, just not letting the Holy Ghost flow. The Holy Ghost just wants to roam free in the spirit. All right, so anyway, um, where am I? Uh, verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, um, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by uh, might overshadow them, might overshadow some of them. So, the spirit got so strong that they were laying people out in the street saying, man, we'll just lay you out here on the couch. If Peter walks by, his spirit man became so big for his body that just the passing by of Peter, people were going to get healed. Man, this is what you want, bursting forth like the four rivers, mm -hmm. overflowing in the spirit. And people don't believe this. That's your problem. I'm waiting for this because this is what I want. Yep. All right, verse 16. 16. There, oh, 16. there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, uh, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. So these guys are mad and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. <laughs> now this is what I'm talking about. They went and threw them into prison. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord waited till night, went in there, unlocked the cage, <laughs> and let them out, and then said... 
you go into the temple and I want you to preach to everyone what had gone on. Man, you don't want to mess around with the true church of God. Nope. You don't lock them in prison like you've done something. Holy Ghost said, okay, unlock the prison and then let them out. And had them right back out there later that day or the next day. All right, verse 20. Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they turned and they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without uh, before uh, the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man with it. <laughs> so they made sure, hey, this was maximum security. I'm not sure what happened here, but I know that we locked the doors. <laughs> we even had men standing in front of it, but nothing can hold back the church of God. All right, so it says, Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. So he's telling them, you know, they don't want to mess with the people, so they're going to leave them alone. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man right. than men. The God of our fathers raised us raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and and a forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Okay, so the one way to receive the Holy Ghost is we've got to obey the Lord. Okay, when the Lord can clean us out and use us, then we can be full of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. But they're making clear, and this is why it's so important that we stand in boldness for the Lord. Because <clears throat> it's being brought up to them, this same Jesus that you guys crucified, he is still around he is still out and about. And he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, so you better tread softly, because he's now king over all things. So he's letting them know, yeah, you sitting there arguing with me. That same Jesus is sitting on the right hand on the throne. I don't think you want to deal with him. Mm -hmm. Verse 34. Uh, then stood there up uh, one of the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. 
for um, before these things rose up uh, Thaddeus or Thutis, I guess that's it, or Thutis of uh, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400 joined themselves uh, who were slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up, Judas and Galilee, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So they made clear. This guy uh, Gamel said, "You know, guys, I remember. Do you remember a time when someone else has spoken up and did this, and these guys went against the Lord?" I don't think you want to do this. I think you better leave these guys alone. I'm bringing to remembrance all those who have crossed the God of the Bible and have suffered greatly. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him ye agreed, and, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the apostles here were beaten, beat up. This was the affliction that was going on. And then they commanded to let them go. So, okay, we can't stop them. But they still wanted to give a little bit of threatening towards them, hoping that they would stop. Verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. For whose name? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to, not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Right. Okay, so no one was going to stop this wave when you are really full of the Spirit. Okay, you beat my butt, and you got away with that. But now I'm back out. Jesus, you had stripes lashed upon you. They persecuted you, and they, they persecuted us, which shows us that we are of you. Mm -hmm. And that was what they honored more than anything else. All right, we're going to run through um, Acts 6 and 7, and I think we're going to close from there. And that will be part one, so I'm going to have to zip through this. This is Acts 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called um, the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So now they're looking for people that are going to go out there, that are going to walk, that are full of the Spirit, that believe what they believe, and are willing to go out. And the same, and the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. 
whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. We talked about this before, that when the presbytery, or presbytero, or the, the um, elders of the church lay hands on you, they give you a gift that only the Lord knows what that gift is. That gift will shortly come out of you, but to have hands laid on you, you don't know what that gift is going to be. Mm -hmm. But the laying on of hands is like being anointed to do the job. Okay? It's called what Paul said, stirring up the gift that is in you. Verse 9. Then they arose certain of the synagogue, which are called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now, I want to make a quick point right here, because these Libertines, and these groups, they came from other backgrounds. But right away, Stephen is in trouble with them. So I want to go to Acts 6, and what is that? Acts 6 and 9. And it says, okay, the synagogue of the Libertines, Okay, it is one who has been liberated from slavery and a freedman of the son of the freedman. Libertine denotes Jews according to Philo, uh, who has been made captives of the Romans under Pompey, uh, but were uh, afterwards set free, and who, although they had fixed their abode to Rome and had their own expanse, a synagogue at Jerusalem, which were frequented uh, when in the city. And the Libertines had heard to them to distinguish them from free-born Jews uh, who had subsequently taken up their residence at Rome. Evidence seems to have been um, discovered of the existence of the synagogue of the Libertines at Pompeii. So, you know, the funny thing about the Libertines, they were once slaves of Rome, okay? They were set free, okay? And now they're going to go and challenge Stephen. You see, bondmen don't like free men. But these guys are coming against Stephen, even though they had suffered their own persecution at one point. But now because they are, you know, religious, they want to come up against Stephen. So you got the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and you got the uh, people of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which he spake. Uh, they were stubborn men. Oh, they were suborned men, uh, which said, uh, We have heard him speak of blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So what does this sound like? The same persecution that Jesus said, They will deliver you up to the councils in Matthew 10, and you will be afflicted. Mm -hmm. The same thing they're accusing Stephen of is the same thing that they're going to accuse you and I of. Yep. All right, verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And this is why I'm trying to tell people under the law, if Stephen is getting persecuted for saying 
that they went to change the customs of Moses, then why do you think that we're not supposed to be up under the Sabbath and do other things? Now, some people would say that maybe he was lying, you know, because they're false witnesses, but they're talking about the things that they claim he did. So obviously he was speaking against something that they didn't like. Verse 15, And all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So Stephen was sitting there in the power of the Lord, you know, and without fear, preaching the gospel. And we're going to hear what Stephen says here in Acts chapter 7. Then from here, we're going to conclude um, next week on part 2. All right, so it says, Acts 7 and 1. Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon. And uh, said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from into the land which I shall shew thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Karen, and from thence, uh, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land, wherein ye now dwell. Okay, so he's talking about when Abraham came from the Chaldeans, he did come from that land, but... Abraham got in trouble too because he was preaching about God being real and these idols of these Babylonians and other and Assyrians where he grew up, that these, these idols were garbage. You read that in the book of Jasher. So from there, people wanted to kill Abraham and persecute Abraham, but Abraham wanted the God of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, it says, And he gave him um, none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on yet his promise uh, that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when, when as yet uh, he had no child. So you remember this all goes back to Isaac. Stephen is reminding them that the Lord is, makes good on his promises. Isaac or Rebecca or Sarah couldn't get married. I mean, well, couldn't get married. She couldn't have a baby. She was barren for years and years, but from that seed of Sarah, I mean, the children of Israel multiplied, like they said, the stars of the sea, mm -hmm. all right? And they were, before Abraham was even in the land, he believed God that that land would be inherited. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? I said of the heavens. Of the heavens, right, stars of the heavens. All right, so it says, where am I in verse 6? Yeah. All right, and God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in the in the strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil for a hundred years. Now you remember this happened in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham began Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there came uh, the dearth, the dearth over uh, all the land of Egypt and Canaan, 
and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was a corn in Egypt, he sent out his fathers, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Now, you guys already know the story of Joseph and all that, what went on. They were in a drought. Joseph's family came to Egypt to be supplied. So he's talking about all this stuff. Verse 14, Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, three score and fifteen souls. So there were sixty-three souls, I mean, no, seventy-five souls that were a part of this, that went into Egypt. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and um, and our fathers, and were uh, carried over uh, the Sikkim and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham brought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sikkim. And when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph, the same dwelt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end uh, they might not live. Okay, so it's talking about here that, remember again, when Joseph um, had favor with the Pharaoh, that Pharaoh died, a new one took over. I don't care about Israel. They are now going to be our slaves. So this is what he's talking about, the enslavement of Israel. Uh, verse 20, in which, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him uh, for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in the words of his in, and in deeds. And when, it, and when he was fully 40 years, when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and children of Israel. So this is where you make the comparison from Moses to Jesus. Jesus started his ministry about 30 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he began his ministry. Moses was about 40 years in Egypt, but when his heart touched him to check on his brethren. And then from there, he spent 40 years in the wilderness. And then the next 40 years, taking Egypt from, I mean, taking the uh, people from Egypt into the promised land. Mm -hmm. And he himself didn't go, but you see how everything is broken off in 40s. Right. All right. So it says... Uh, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So his own people turned to men. But the point that he's making here is, is that he saw his brother suffer and he went forward. This is a point that the church needs to learn. Okay, when you see your brother out there suffering with nothing, how do you just sit there and leave him? But you see, we got this holier-than-thou mentality today. I'm good. This person is just a drug addict. They get what they deserve. Moses went and visited his people, and rather than suffer the pleasures of sin for a season, 
he got down with his people. Moses could have lived like a king. But you got the church people that are that are seeking the high life, that want to live up in high things, and they can care less about their brother. But you notice in, in the book of Acts, chapters 3, 4, and 5, they were giving to one another, mm -hmm. and God was blessing. This is what's lacking in the church. That's right. All right, let me finish up. So it says, where am I? Um, 26. 26. And the next day he shewed himself unto them, and they strove, and would have set at one again, uh, saying, Sirs, yet are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? And he that did and he that did his neighbors wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me, and thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? So they were mad at Moses. I don't even understand why. He tried to help an Israelite, went and told them, and they hate him just for being the liberator. Who told you that you have right over us? So they thought, and when we preach the gospel, we've got to understand this. We have come to help set people free. But you're going to find in most cases, people want to stay chained up. Yep. They don't want to be free. Nope. And they will turn against you. That's why Jesus said, if they will not receive you, kick the dust off your feet and move on. That's right. All right, so it says, uh, verse uh, 29, yeah. Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, uh, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of fire in a bush. Now let's not let this shoot by us. I know we want to close, but there's a lot of meat here that we need to chew on. After 40 years in the wilderness, in a strange land, God came to him and gave him what he would need. It's the same way Jesus was 40 days and nights without food or water mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Yep. But God, when he deals with us, when he deals with people that are born again, he takes them out of Egypt and they dwell in a wilderness where they need to work things out within their souls. And, and the Lord was trying to get Egypt out of Moses. He could not work with Moses as long as Moses was in Egypt or Egypt was in him. So it took the 40 years that Moses lived in Egypt was about the same amount of time it took Egypt to come out of Moses. Now God can work with him. Why? Because Moses had just become a vessel fit for the master to use. Now that you don't like Egypt and you're away from it and you've adopted a new lifestyle, now I'm going to come and fill your vessel with what is necessary for you to do. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take 40 years like I've been, whatever. It'll take that long for me to be. No, we now have the Holy Ghost that will work things out. But even with Paul, as we'll see later on, he had to go into Arabia for three years with the Lord and to be made over to be brought back out. So there are things that have to be taken out of us for the church to be effective. So then it says, And when the forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in the bush. And Moses saw it and wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, then Moses trembled and durst not behold. 
then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And have seen I, uh, have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. So the Lord knew that Moses was his man, just from the very act that he sacrificed, trying to liberate one of the Egyptians. But the point we want to make here is, guys, when you get spare time, because we don't have time to go into it, go to Exodus chapter 3. That'll give you more of the story of Moses. For all people who may be hearing of the first time the encounter between the Lord and Moses, it's Exodus chapter 3. Okay, so back to um, verse 34. I think I've passed it. Verse 35. This Moses whom they refused, saying... Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be ruler and to deliver by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had shewed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses uh, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet uh, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, uh, him shall ye hear. So again, the contrast is also being made here with Stephen, that that prophet was none other than Jesus Christ that Moses spake of. Verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel, uh, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our father who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again, and Egypt, saying, uh, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go uh, before us, for as for uh, this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And they made a calf of, of, of in those days, and offered sacrifice, unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. So he's bringing them back to this time of recognizing that, okay, you guys are talking about Moses. Moses was up with the very Lord that you guys hated and you crucified. Verse 42, then God turned and gave them up uh, to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, figures which ye, which ye made uh, to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. This star of Remphan that they're talking about that the children of Israel were worshiping is the father of, of you know, is Baal, that these people were into. This is where you get the sickle, moon, and star. This is where you get the Moloch worship. This is where you get the, um, you know, Buddhism when they talk about the sickle, moon, and star. Hinduism, sickle, moon, and star. Catholicism, sickle, moon, and star. Islam, sickle, moon, and star. This is the same star of the God that the children of Israel were worshiping, and God had to get them away from that. Yep. Okay, so false religion has been around a long time. And that's why it says, I will carry you away beyond Babylon. 
Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, and he had appointed speaking unto Moses, and he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in, brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle of the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in house. Howbeit most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Guys, hold where you are. I know we're going to close, but let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I just want to make a quick point. This is also what people have to understand, and this is why I read earlier and Luke 17, that the kingdom cometh not with observation, but the kingdom is within you. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll start at verse, uh, let's see, let's start at verse, uh, let's start at verse 13. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and uh, the Lord for the body. And God hath uh, both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take them, uh, the members of Christ, and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he, he shall be, um, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So that's making it clear here that if those people want to be members of an harlot, that that you know all you got to do is link with one. And this is why we got to be careful where we fellowship and where we go, because you will become a member of an harlot just sitting in there thinking that you're doing God's will. When you're not turning anyone to Jesus, you're turning everything unto yourself. So that's what our harlot does. He uses people. Sitting in a lot of these churches, you lose the love for your brother, or it becomes a false love that you won't even preach the gospel for him. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glory God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this is where the Lord wants every church to be, or everyone to be, is to glorify the Lord. Not in self, not in religious works and rituals, but in God. The only reason Stephen is standing here in boldness in the spirit of Jesus Christ is because the Lord lives in him and he's delivering the gospel. All right, so I'm going to finish up here. This is um, 49. 49, and it says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Have not my hands made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. 
And this is what's going on now. While we're sitting here delivering this message, telling people about relationship is not the same as religion, about the church as a body of believers and people that will receive Jesus Christ, okay? And that will be the lively stones, the ecclesia, that people will get stiff-necked and angry and go against you because you're preaching the truth in Christ. And, of course, the enemy has got to do something to try and disturb us. So, you know, that's just the way things work. Just making sure there's nobody's stuff here. But, anyways, uh, which of the prophets have your fathers persecuted, have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which shoot before of the coming of the just one, and whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So he's saying that these people have crucified every prophet you can think of, every prophet that brought forth the truth in Jesus Christ, these religious people have killed. And guess what? They're going to come after you and me. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. So you hear one gospel, but you hear two different reactions to it. When Peter preached twice to the people, they were cut to their hearts and they wanted the Lord. Okay, but the gospel didn't change. Who they were preaching to made the difference because the gospel is the same. He is saying nothing different than Jesus or Peter would have said. Now, when Peter said it, everyone was excited. You know, they were, well, what should we do? You know, forgive us. They were cut to their heart. These guys are cut to their heart, but they're ready to kill. So you see, there's a different reaction and exposure to God. Mm -hmm. For those who will receive, they will melt like butter. For those who won't, they will get hard like clay. That's right. So they gnashed on him with their teeth like animals, 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So the veil was opened up to Stephen while he was going through his persecution and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. So they didn't even want to hear Stephen praising the Lord. They wanted to make as much noise as possible. Just the name of Jesus were making these guys sick. But understand, Stephen was standing here alone. He started out in the group. He was chosen to go. Stephen was a lively stone. He was led by the Spirit to go where he needed to go. If we don't get in our hearts and our minds right now that it is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory, we will not be able to do this. Nope. It's nice in a group. It's nice, to have, it's nice to have support and do things. But we aren't going to always be together all the time. Nope. Stephen is standing here with Christ in him, telling them what they need to know. Mm -hmm. This is what the church is made of. Now, just because people aren't around him, does this make Stephen any less the church? Nope. Stephen is a stone of the living church of God that is in his own suffering persecution and, and still preaching the truth right. and Jesus stood up to salute him then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul 
And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had, and when he said this, he fell asleep. And that's not a misprint. We read it right. This is not smooth, poetic sayings. Stephen fell asleep because Stephen was a living stone of the Ecclesia, which is the church of God. He will be resurrected one day to be with the Lord. And so is everyone that believes in the true Jesus Christ. But this is a glimpse of the church of God. This is the Ecclesia. This is when the Lord is ready to move with people who are in boldness like this. But it begins in having that spark lit in a relationship with Jesus outside of religious works. Every one of these people Jesus had touched, he isolated. Even the first 120. What did he do? They went up to the upper room and they waited for 10 days for the promise to be fulfilled. But this is what we have to recognize concerning the Lord is that the Lord wants lively stones. He wants a group of people complete in Christ. Okay, it is good to be in a group, but Christ has to be formed in us. Because who's going to stand in this inferno other than you and Christ? That's and that's why it says in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. And he tells you about your, the principalities and powers. But then it tells you about girding your loins up with truth. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The sword of the spirit. And having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So to be a lively stone in Christ, we have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is our faith. The helmet of salvation is the hope, not to this life, but to serve him in the life to come. And the sword of the spirit, this word has to live in us, that we become the living word. Every day we should be preparing ourselves with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and in preparation going forward to the day. And that's why Paul said, be instant, in season, and out of season. You never know when the Lord is going to pull that trigger and have to use you in a situation. But we first have to give it all to him to become the true church of God. Okay, and what I'm saying is not hard to do. The question would be, how much do you love Jesus? That's right. Because if you love him, you enter into relationship with him. He builds up in us. And all the church is is a bunch of lively stones that are full of Jesus Christ, wearing the full armor, loving their brother, but loving their Lord, their God, with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. And this is the Ecclesia. So we're going to conclude part one today. It was kind of lengthy because we went into other scriptures, you know, just to set the floor. So I don't think the next ones will be anything like that. But, you know, this is part one of the book of Acts. This is the Ecclesia. But we got a glimpse of what the true church of God is. Everything else is like a forerunner, just getting us prepared for this time. All right. So from here, uh, Sarah's going to present and then we can close out in prayer. Okay, I'll have us go to Luke 13 and 1. All 
right, Luke 13 and 1. There were there were present at the season, at that season, some that told him of the Galileans, who whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that the, that these Galileans were sinners, above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall also likewise perish. So this is what Jesus is telling them is that um, again it goes with tonight's study that the first thing that we have to do when we come to know Jesus is we have to repent you know we can't be worrying about what other people are doing uh, we can't say well, well this person's doing this or we can't have those vain questions that bring it forth strife we have to repent of everything that we do and again it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ verse 4 or those 18 yeah. Or those eighteen who upon whom the tower of Simeon fell and slew them, think ye that there that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent ye shall likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? So this, this man, obviously is Jesus, coming to his the, the individual that takes care of this fig tree, and says, Why do you keep you know planting, and why do you keep nourishing, and why do you keep taking care of this tree? When after three years, it's got, you know, I have no fruit from it. Verse 8. And he answering and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig it, till I dig up, till I shall dig about it and dung it, which is fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if it not, then after that, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. So I believe that this is also Jesus Christ talking to the Father for us. And if we, this is also Jesus Christ letting us know, He gives us pretty much all the time to get our lives right with Him. So we cannot ever say on that day when we stand before Jesus Christ, I did not know. Or judgment, if we stand before God the Father. Lord, nobody, or you know, God, nobody told me anything. No one ever came to me. No one ever told me the truth. No one ever said anything. Well, right here it's saying, he gives us our entire life, however long that life is, to get our lives right with Him. And if we choose not to, like it was saying here, it was like He was giving Him one last year, so it would have been four years. Hey, if this tree is not producing fruit after this year, I'll cut it down. Just give it one more year and let's see what happens. All right, from here, let's go to Isaiah 5 and 1. Isaiah 5, verse 1. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my, well, of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he 
fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with a choice vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitation of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have done, what what could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. So real quick, I want to give a little bit of a definition of what this wild grapes actually means. It's Hebrew 891 in the Strong Concordance, and the word is actually um, Beoshim. And the definition is stinky, or worthless, or a worthless thing, wild grapes, stink berries, or even poison berries. And then I'm going to give a definition, and I want us to pay attention to what stink berries actually are. The rotting fruit emits an odor that smells similar to vomit. The odorous fruit releases butyric acid, which also gives rancid butter its horrible smell. Now check this part out here. The seeds contained inside of the fruit are edible and do not emit the putrid odor because the odor comes from the fleshly outer layer. Does not our flesh stink mm -hmm. in the nostrils of God? Mm -hmm. The seeds are edible. So we have those seeds inside of us. The seeds are fine. It's the fleshly outside that mm -hmm. causes that vomitous odor. And does not it say that the sow will return or the mm -hmm. dogs shall return to their vomit? So this is what he's letting them know. That, you know, Israel, you have become these wild grapes. Verse 5. Now, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall be, it shall not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also condemn the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it so he's letting them know because you decided to become these wild grapes you decided to come this putrid smell i'm not going to pour out my holy spirit on you now verse seven for the vineyard of the lord of hosts is the house of israel and the men of judah his pleasant plant and he looked for judgment but behold oppression for righteousness but behold a cry woe unto them that join house to house that lay field to field Till there be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. So we can't be trying to connect with all the other religions of this world because that is just not. No, the Lord's like, you're set alone. I've got a purpose for you, but you're trying to go over here and do these things with these people that don't even believe in me. Right. Verse 9. In mine ear said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great, fair, and fair without inhabitations. Yea, ten acres of vineyards shall be ten acres of a vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an of an homer shall yield one ephes. So that's the measurement. So that is what I have to bring forth tonight. Um, that we cannot this is the Lord is also speaking this to us, that we have to trust in him and him alone for our everything. And I just wanted to read the psalm real quick that I wrote. Mm. All right. <laughs> oh, I'll it. 
社会。Here it is. Alright. What is time but only for a short moment? A seed is planted in hopes that the fruit will show it. What is the world but Satan's matrix that those who follow Jesus can truly see it? We are here for a season, then the season is up. We stand before Jesus, and he opens our book. What a frightening thing this is to think about. If we are truly hit, saved, then we will rejoice and shout. But if we are not, or have fear or doubt, there is only one other place there will be a shout. And in hell and the lake of fire, there is no way out. So come to Jesus today, don't wait any longer. And if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, let him make our faith that much stronger. All right, so, you know, again, this was part one of the book of Acts. Um, I went a few different places to get some things done, but, you know, if we think that this is the church, we better think again, because mm -hmm. we've got a long way to go to connect with Jesus Christ again. We just don't seem to... And I think the biggest part that's really holding us back is the world. I think the cares of this life is what's really keeping the spirit from flowing where he needs to flow. But, you know, he's going to, and I'm not even worried about that. But yep. we just need to wake up to the reality of what the Lord really wants. He just wants us. And the moment we come to that conclusion, then we begin to recognize, well, if he wants me and I give him me, then my problem is solved. Everything is solved. Because you will have Christ living in you, which would make you like him. And when he goes back to heaven, you're going with him. Because it's the Christ in you. That's something we just need to think about. All right, so for me, I guess Melissa can pray out and we'll um, close. Dear Lord. Bless you for this lesson tonight, and again, thank you for another day to try to be a better better servant to you, Lord. You. Keep our fires lit and build them, Lord. Strengthen us. Keep showing us your way and your will for us. Your will be done through us. Continue to get us out of our own way, Lord, and build us up. Build yourself up in us, Lord, so that we can follow your direction, your lead. Give us your discernment, Lord. Place us where you want us to be. Yes, we just open ourselves up and pray that you would clean us up, Lord. And just, we submit ourselves to you. Just use us where you need us, Lord. Place us where you need us to be. And just come right through us and out of us, Lord. Take away the fear. Take away the doubt. Just let us do your will, Lord. Yes, Lord. We just are so grateful for your grace and your mercy and your time to let you be built up uh, built up in us so that we can do this for you lord and and be with you and we just we want to be to that point where you can say well done our good my good and faithful servant lord and we just give us the fear let us see the other side keep us motivated keep us marching forward lord just make us your soldiers lord in your mighty mighty name we pray, Lord Jesus. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.